Medicare for all. Your bros can suck my balls. Fuck your reply, guys. Please don't fuck your reply, guys. Just listen to Reply Guys. Welcome back to Reply Guys, the leftist feminist comedy podcast for the rest of us. I'm Julia Clare. Uh, Kate and I had a a really great conversation this week with the nation's Ken Klippenstein. Um, for any of you who are are as on Twitter as we are, uh, you probably already know who Ken is. We talked about uh, the situation that's been unfolding in Portland with the federal forces that have been deployed there. And, you know, just the everyday horrors of being an American right now. Uh, and then we talked about, you know, Ken's famous feud with Elon Musk. Uh, so I, I really hope you enjoy this interview. Uh, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts if you can. And if you have a few extra dollars to spare, um, we would love if you would subscribe to our Patreon. Uh, we upload bonus episodes every week, and uh, there's a lot of great content there. So thanks so much, and we hope you enjoyed this interview with Ken. Just listen to Reply Guys. Hello, and welcome back to Reply Guys. Uh, we are so lucky to be joined this week uh, by Ken Klippenstein, who is the DC correspondent for The Nation, uh, and you had a great piece come out on Friday. I, I feel weird saying great because the subject matter is is so terrible and serious, but you've been covering uh, the protests in Portland and also uh, the presence of, um, well, who you discovered was a Customs and Border Patrol. And from what I understand, this is, you know, right now this has been a, uh, limited to Portland, but the plan is to deploy these agents nationwide. I think Chicago is next, or maybe they were you know, already deployed to Chicago. What What is happening sort of across the country? Yeah, that's right. So that's really where my story starts out. I was given um, what are called talking points. That's like government speak for, um, you know, what they're supposed to tell the media and the public when they ask questions about things. And as you can imagine, uh, you know, arresting people on unmarked cars uh, with people that are not clearly marked, that's going to raise some questions. So um, they were instructed to say to um, anyone that asked, uh, you, you know, what is the time frame for this? How long is this going to last? And they, they have to say, oh, we can't reveal that because it's going to, you know, that could compromise our operational security. Um, and then in the case of where they're being deployed, um, they also can't say where for the same reason that, it, um, you know, it allegedly harm their um, operational security. So we don't know. And what's interesting about these documents is they show that initially they were told to, you know, tell the media, oh, you know, we don't plan this is going to last for much longer than the 4th of July because this memo was sent out in on July 1st. Um, but of course, they ended up expanding it beyond that. And so it seems like it's open-ended. Uh, it's not clear when it'll end. And it's not, also not clear where they're going to send them to. So we really don't know. So are there people right now that are just missing and just have not been heard from? Well, fortunately, um, once they're brought to prison, so um, there was one report that I thought was fairly indicative. Um, the individual was asked you know, to answer some questions. And he very intelligently said, um, I want a lawyer. And then once he asked for that, they said, all right, fine, you can go. And then they just let him go. 
So um, it's unclear to me what exactly the point of all this is, because, you know, if they really do think that these individuals pose some kind of threat to public safety, you think they'd want to, even with a lawyer present, uh, ask them questions and figure out what the hell's going on. Instead, they let them go. Um, something that one uh, Department of Homeland Security official told me is, you know, is this some kind of photo ops kind of thing that they're just showing the public what they can get away with? And it's not necessarily, you know, contributing to any sort of uh, crime fighting um, uh, purpose. But I mean, my guess is as good as yours right now because they're being so uh, qu- they're being so closed about about what their what their intentions are here. What a horrible situation! And you know, I'm I wonder to what degree there will be public support or not for these measures. Uh, even on the right, I'm not sure because it's you know one, it's you know just nakedly authoritarian, and two, literally when you're uh, a child, one of the first things that you learn is do not get in a weird van, you know, that's just drilled into us all at a young age. So on some primal level, uh, it's just lizard brain. We, we have to, we have to know as a society that, uh, this van shit is, is just, is not in a good direction. Um, these tactics, uh, basically are, are tactics that the U S military, uh, has used, uh, in the Middle East after 9-11, from what I understand, uh, and, you know, are now being deployed here. Um, first of all, I'm not uh, super knowledgeable on that. Is that true? That was, I've, I've been um, seeing people explain that, but I, I wasn't, is that, is that kind of the, the strategy that, uh, that they're using is the strategy of kind of, uh, like soldiers who are occupying basically. Well, they're certainly, you know, conducting themselves without the consent of um, the local government there. And I think, yeah, I think uh, kind of post 9-11 conflict is a good way to look at it. Um, not necessarily because they can get away with quite as much, because fortunately they can. Um, you know, there are things you can do to non, what are called non, in the intelligence community, they call them U.S. persons versus non-U.S. persons. So if you're a U.S. person, which is an American citizen or a resident of the, you know, United States, um, you, you do have quite a few protections that um, non-U.S. persons do not. So it's not quite that bad yet. Um, however, yeah, the Department of Homeland Security is a very young agency. This is a mm. post-9-11 agency that was established, um, kind of forged in the flames of the, um, you know, the, the 9-11 terror attacks. And, um, you know, the way that it conducts itself really reflects that, I think. And so I think that is a good um, sort of prism to, to, to look at it through. And, and, you know, I think we should ask ourselves is, uh, do we want to still have these agencies behaving as though the terror attacks happened yesterday? Because unfortunately, um, that is what the agency is like. I mean, there's not been much in the way of curbing their power or um, reforming them. They pretty much have a lot of the same authorities that they, that they did back then. And um, in the middle of a pandemic, um, it should be pointed out in what's called pandemic law, President Bush uh, via a series of executive orders, established uh, basically the pandemic law that governs the kinds of powers that a president and the executive branch has during a pandemic like COVID-19. And those all also were put in place uh, shortly after 9-11. So we're kind of living in a uh, the day after 9-11 world. And unfortunately, it's not that, I mean, fortunately, it's not the day after 9-11. But unfortunately, our institutions don't reflect that. I mean, even post 9-11, like the day after 9-11, um, we you know, we, I think people of conscience did not want that, especially, um, Muslim, um, Muslims, uh, from other countries as well as, you know, in the United States, like I, I just, you know, I remember having friends who had their phones tapped, 
and uh, you know just harassed at the airport, and people were just being uh, disappeared without you know having any uh, right to counsel, and you know so it just it, it's definitely bringing back a type of a uh, horrible deja vu at this time. Yeah, unfortunately, it feels as though um, you know all these powers given to them uh, was sort of there was a sort of gentleman's agreement that uh, you know presidents wouldn't abuse it to the extent that they could, and, and hopefully they would you know exercise some responsibility. But as Trump shows us, um, that is entirely contingent on not having a president like Trump coming to come along. And so um, you know I don't think it's very wise to just hope that um, the president will conduct oversight of himself and his administration because as we can see, that's clearly not. And that's clearly not always something they're going to he's do. So he's so good at that, though. He loves <laughs> just holding himself accountable and making sure that there's as much oversight in his administration as possible. Um, and we love that for him. But I, this this situation in Portland is so unsettling, obviously for a number of reasons. But um, it's it smacks of authoritarianism so much because, you know, Portland was not something, it was not a city where I had, you know, we'd been seeing like a lot of, or I had not been seeing like a lot of news coverage saying that this is like a danger zone or something like that, even in mainstream news sources. And so if this is like under the guise of public safety, I just don't, it feels very like trumped up and I hate that that I hate that his name is that word I couldn't for lack of a better <laughs> it's word it's ruined but it seems like these are kind of invented charges um, or rationale for for going into Portland and you know when we do have I, I don't know it just seems very convenient and has has there been any sort of explanation that uh, that they've tried to release to account for that? Because all all I've seen is that things have gotten terrible since the kind of like federal forces moved in. But yeah, I didn't I think you're see right. they... anything before. Yeah, they, they have a, it appears and, you know, there's plenty of evidence to suggest that when uh, feds get involved and start shooting things like tear gas, that can actually incite uh, and and worsen the situation by angering people Who when you know, leading unrest. Yeah. <laughs> um, Imagine so that. I, I think that's a smart way to look at it. Um, unfortunately, you know, when you get to national security, um, although, you know, authorities like to invoke um, the safety of the public and things, that's often not, you know, towards the top of their concerns. So um, in this case, uh, something that a friend of mine in uh, Department of Homeland Security told me was, you know, uh, you know, we're getting close to an election. These are very high profile arrests. This is producing the sorts of imagery that we know that President Trump likes to do. Um, what if this is just a sort of TV commercial for him? And I don't think that's such a crazy, I mean, I, I don't know. How to, I mean, that's speculation. I, I can't prove that. Neither can my source, but I don't think that's far from the truth. We, he likes yeah, his fireworks. He likes his imagery. That doesn't sound yeah. far-fetched at all. And it's also a, I mean, it's in the neighborhood of a wedge issue, which is like the black lives matter protests and everything. It's kind of one of his favorite things to do is inflame these like racial cultural tensions um and this seems like it would just check all of his boxes because he certainly didn't send in any federal forces or the national guard or whatever uh when you know 
the Proud Boys were marching in Virginia and then and Heather Heyer was killed uh I don't know it just seems like the violence started after the federal forces were deployed and not before and it just I don't know it's uh, it's really confusing and it uh makes me feel like I don't know if like up is down right now yeah, I mean, if you look at what they've said, um, what the head, uh, Chad Wolf is his name, that's his real name, uh, the head of uh, Department of Homeland Security has said about it. Uh, Wait, just... I'm sorry, his name is Chad Wolf? Yeah, <laughs> Chad Wolf. No, wow. no, that's that's not allowed. <laughs> Chad Wolf, resign. Your name sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The Virgin Constitution and the Chad head of the DHS. Oh yeah. my God! Would, would you say he's a big Chad Wolf, like uh, Red Riding Hood, Red uh, Antifa, Red Riding Hood, and or the big Chad Wolf? An MRA, just like really into you know skull shapes and things like that. I bet he is. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, his statements have been unhinged. Uh, to answer your question, you know, what is their what is the basis of their uh, what are they alleging is is, is yeah. why they're going there if they're if you know the violence is increasing? Um, he's basically just said anarchists violence like ad nauseum. Um, he's talked about you know unrest and so I mean undoubtedly you know there's been a, some property destruction here, but I mean nothing on the order of what local police couldn't handle. Um, you know, it certainly doesn't, I don't think, um, justify the, the, the extent of the response that we're seeing, but yeah, that's been his response is just, um, repeatedly assert that, um, there are anarchists afoot and we need to do something or else the, you know, um, pillars of civilization will collapse if we don't, if we, if we don't respond. Definitely two things come to mind. Uh, one is he, he actually, you know, has, he released this memo, I think almost a, a couple months ago now uh, about, you know, graffiti, basically, about, you know, that, like, that's the, the justification for this response is uh, is graffiti, which is so ridiculous. Um, and two, uh, having, I am from the West Coast, you know, so I, I know uh, Portland anarchists, and uh, I, I would say this is not a, a uh, not a not a violent group of people i would say it's it's a vegan group of people you know mm-hmm. uh it's not necessarily a group of people who uh is you know overly obsessed with you know uh showers which is fine i don't say that as a knock <laughs> i'm you know i'm a one or two per a week in the core but it, this is a hard time for us all yeah, a Portland anarchist uh, is not what comes to mind when I think of a dangerous individual. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the the kind of black block people I've seen that I, I don't think they're I don't think they're te- I don't think they're wearing t-shirts above size like small or maybe I love that. Yeah. That I, yeah, I'm just imagining a lot of people on skateboards, <laughs> um, white guys with dreads. Yes, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. Um, not, not people I'd be particularly afraid of. Again, it's really, it is hard. I can't stop thinking about like, again, the proud boys and how there were like literal neo-Nazis and like offshoot chapters of the KKK a few years ago, uh, like marching in public, chanting blood and soil. And that wasn't enough to, bring in federal forces but this is um doesn't 
make a lot of sense to me, but at the same time, I have become very stupid during quarantine. So who's to say? Yeah. I mean, I was talking to a Department of Homeland Security friend recently, and he said to me, because I had asked, I asked, asked him essentially the same question. You know, there appears to be far more far right kind of neo-Nazi or at the very least like extreme anti-government violence than there is, um, you know, far left or gosh, I can't think of a single case of any sort of person that uh, affiliated with Black Lives Matter or anything like that that's that's, you know, killed anyone. But I asked him, you know, why is it not more of a why is it not more of a uh, priority, given that they're, you know, killing cops as well, these far right groups. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said to me, you know, as long as this administration uh, prioritizes somebody overstaying their visa, uh, first and foremost, everything else is just going to be secondary to that. And he was very yeah. bitter about it um, because he would like to do the more serious work of tracking guys that actually want to kill people. Um, so, uh, unfortunately I think that's, that's the situation we find ourselves in is an administration that, you know, really wants to politicize this department, which, you know, obviously imperfect, uh, as it, as it always was. Um, I, I think we're really seeing, um, w- w- what happens when you have someone, um, try to a- a- apply it in the most political way possible. I feel just still confused about like, what is even the legal justification for, like border patrol being involved really flimsy that has nothing to do with the border yeah yeah so that's an interesting question so border patrol is actually has the authority to um operate within 100 miles of all u.s borders oh my god (laughs) yeah so when you think of that you know that might sound okay on paper but in reality the uh, amount of the u.s population that lives within 100 miles of a border is extremely large because there's so many you know port cities and things so that actually encompasses the majority of the u.s population so in that sense they actually have a great deal of um, reach and you know my understanding is Portland is well within that um, so they do have that authority um, and that's again something going back to you know well before the Trump administration as bad as as bad as this is um, and something that you know unfortunately we have not sought to sought to try to curb or, or, or rein in in any sort of fashion so they have you know real extraordinary power and then the context of all of this is the national emergencies that President Trump has declared over immigration and um, perhaps you know more reasonably um, uh, the pandemic that gives the president a lot of powers, as I mentioned before. But um, aside from all of that, we have an attorney general, um, William Barr, who specializes in what's called um, the unitary executive theory. He's built his entire career on creating and finding um, arcane sort of legal justifications for giving the uh, president and the executive branch more power. Um, another big adherent of this was Dick Cheney under uh, President Bush. He was very masterful at, um, you know, finding legal ways to let the president do things that that um, perhaps there wasn't much precedent to do. So Barr also has been wow. an, an architect of finding ways for the president to exert federal power um, over and above what 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 you think states would, oh would, my God. would allow. Friend of, you know, friend of the show, Dick Cheney, uh, just want to <laughs> give him a shout out real quick. Uh, oh, my God. Yeah, the I know that that I remember when the selection process was occurring for Jeff Sessions replacement as attorney general. Um, basically, a lot of people were saying that um, what William Barr's appeal to President Trump would be is exactly what you said is kind of his specialty, which is like finding loopholes for um, expanding executive authority. Um, and boy, has he done it. Uh, there have been, I mean, it's, it's, it hasn't been 
something that I think is in the public consciousness as much as it should be. But the coronavirus has given um, President Trump kind of extreme latitude in um, essentially deregulating what he wants to deregulate, which is like corporations and commerce and labor and things like that. And also um, exerting more force in situations like these. Um, And we have Bill Barr, among others, to thank for that. But that's it's really scary. It's like, I don't know, I nothing feels real anymore. But it's just like a very scary time. What is it like to be reporting this house while it's on fire? <laughs> uh, I have to say, yeah, it's not great for one's sanity talking to people who, are, you know, themselves are already pretty right wing in a lot of respects. I mean, you don't go to work for the Department of Homeland Security in general. You know, I don't want to get too specific. I don't want to get anybody in trouble. But, um, you know, these are not left wing kind of activists by any means. Um, And so (laughs) to see them, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. to see them, uh, you know, express consternation at at this sort of authoritarian direction things are moving is is a little disconcerting, (laughs) to say the least. Yeah. Imagine someone being like, hi, my name's James. I'm Antifa and I'm working for DHS. (laughs) (laughs) I would love love that character arc for someone. yeah, that's, uh, I, I, I am a little, um, concerned about, I mean, I'm a lot concerned about a lot of different things, but as you mentioned, as we all know, uh, the election is kind of fast approaching in November and it seems like the, from you know, if Portland is any indication that the administration could just keep like ratcheting things up further and further, um, as a way to try to consolidate support, uh, before election day. Yeah. That's the direction that I, my mind went to when I saw this stuff. Um, because, you know, for the time being, it's this ludicrous, you know, uh, respond to the someone broke a window or something. Or maybe somebody set some building on fire. But, um, yeah, one can imagine a lot of ugly possibilities uh, should the race be close um, or get or tighten. Because right now, it seems, um, you know, Biden's pulling quite well. But, um, you know, things are volatile. Everything is these situations mm. are very fluid. Um, if, if things tighten up and it gets closer. Um, y- yeah, I can imagine a lot of very unpleasant <laughs> things, things happening uh, come come November. One justification that uh, Trump and other right-wing politicians who support him have used for uh, for this type of state violence is uh, uh, Antifa. Um, can <laughs> so we talk funny. a little bit? It's so we talk, funny. Yeah, can we talk a little bit about uh, what the reality? of Antifa is versus how it is portrayed by Trump and company. Yeah, so I'll give you an example. Um, the weekend that President Trump gave his big statement um, vowing to designate Antifa a terrorist organization, I call a friend of mine in the FBI up and I say, what on earth is like uh, triggering this in him? Like, did something happen that we don't know about? And then he's like, hold on, let me check. And he calls him back. He's like, oh, we got a field report about um, uh, Antifa. And I was like, what did it find? It's like, 
Absolutely nothing. I found that they, were, they weren't yeah. involved in any of the, you know, because this was during, um, you remember when he tear gassed the protesters in front of the White House? Oh, sure um, do. <laughs> yeah. So, he, he, you know, I would have thought like somewhere, some kid, you know, dressed in all black might have, I don't know, broken a window or done something. I mean, you know, presumably large numbers of people, different, you know, groups are going to do different things. But no, their intelligence was not able to find anything. And they were specifically looking for it, too, because these guys know what side their bread is buttered on. They know that the president mm. is looking for a certain kind of thing and they're going to want to provide intelligence if they have it, um, you know, for that. But um, at least in that case, they weren't able to. And my understanding of that is that in subsequent intelligence reports that the FBI had conducted, they, they still weren't able to find anything. So the extent to which this threat has been overstated is uh, almost comical because I would have thought they'd be able to find something because in those same intelligence reports, they do find violence. They found, for example, um, I published this maybe three or four weeks ago, they found backpacks full of um, uh, potentially explosive materials, you know, bricks, things like that. But these were all from right wing groups, far right wing groups. Of course groups, they not. are, <laughs> which are never and they are those groups are never classified as terrorist organizations, even right. though like I was listening to um, this historian talk about the Ku Klux Klan and, you know, we just don't think we don't think about this, but he said that been the most destructive terrorist organization in American history. And, you know, like in terms of just like pure body count and it, and I just don't think that people understand that not only is the Ku Klux Klan still alive and well, but like many offshoot groups and they are still, you know, alive and well to this day. Um, and those, you know, obviously, those are the people that the president relies on for support in a lot of in a lot of ways so uh he will never declare them a terrorist organization but it's just laughable like those are actual organizations uh those like white supremacy organizations those have like actual chapters and you know power structures and they're like dues paying members right antifa is nothing it's like it, there it's it, there is no centralized hub or it's not any an organization. Sort of, it's yeah. not an organization at all. Yeah, you bring up a really important distinction, which is between um, you know, Antifa is autonomous. It's like guys mm -hmm. that maybe could be said to agree on certain principles and things, but it's pretty spontaneous. It's you know, I, people. I'd push back there. Have you ever been to a meeting of anarchists? I would not say uh, that agreement is a big part of it. <laughs> but, For, yeah. Well taken. Yeah, but go ahead and finish. I'm sorry to interrupt. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, and then what, what you're looking at these far-right groups, um, my understanding, you know, they, uh, the intelligence agencies, they do a lot of what's called counterintelligence. They're supposed to look and they worry about seeing if people are forming groups to kind of oppose you know, state interests and things like that. So that when I talk to the counterintelligence people, they say, oh, this is getting pretty scary because they're starting to get organized, these far right groups in the sense of, I'll give you an example. There was a mass shooting that resulted in the death of um, two federal security contractors and one um, cop in California by uh, a member, by someone who claimed allegiance to the Boogaloo group. This is like a far right um, kind of extreme anti-government group. Um, and they wear and can, Hawaiian shirts, right? Right. They yeah. wear Hawaiian shirts and, and oh camo. Oh, yeah. Um, and and camo? It's a, yeah. What a mess. Yeah. How, how incredibly gauche. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The worst of their crimes. But oh, what's amazing clashing. is they, I'm wondering where are all the Blue Lives Matter people? Because this guy literally killed essentially three, you know, cops. And he did it. This guy was uh, a at the time a member of an elite um, 
kind of special forces unit within the U.S. Air Force uh, did it with a machine gun and used a silencer. And um, according to the reporting, um, tried to make it look like it was Antifa that was doing it or tried to make it look like it was other like left wing groups to try to kind of frame them. That's why he used a silencer when he did it. So knowing that um, and, and this has been borne out in other intelligence reports as well, is that the far right groups are trying to make, uh, you know, they're trying to make it look like left wing groups are doing it. So with that being the case and there being an organized concerted effort, that person didn't do it alone. He allegedly did it with a second person driving around um, picking these targets. Um, you know, I think we should exercise some skepticism when we see reports, you know, uh, you know, Antifa did this, Antifa did that, knowing that there are right wing groups that are working together to try to make it seem that way. So, I mean, you know, that does add to a lot of confusion, um, but I just hope that we can have a kind of facts based approach to <laughs> seeing who's doing what. I mean, on the left, we can barely get a, you know, a chain email going. We are <laughs> like we are, you know, organizing is, is tough, but like the all these right wing groups have fucking websites and they have these like really elaborate newsletters and things like that and they also have i mean i think they still have print papers uh like newspapers uh as well i don't know i'm i've just been in a uh a rabbit hole of um of listening to the new season of slow burn about david duke so that's that's really where i'm getting most of but i you know i obviously know about like i think the daily stormer is still up that like extreme right wing website um and I mean, you'll. I think that Breitbart publishes as much like inflammatory ultra right wing content as you're you're likely to find anywhere. But um, yeah, I mean, the I think that Antifa only gets invoked as a concept when ultra right wing groups are committing violence yeah exactly the it's like you know the the money find people on both sides yeah kind of thing um so just to kind of change gears a little bit uh portland has been um there have been a bunch of uh instances of right-wing violence in portland and uh even before the feds were deployed um there have been uh, many clashes with uh, the Portland Police Department. Um, there seems to be kind of a huge right-wing white supremacist uh, presence there, even though, like, for me, when I think of Portland, I'm always like, you know, that is where I would go to get, like, a blueberry basil bourbon donut or whatever, <laughs> you know? But why, like, like why has... Uh, why has Portland been such a, a central place for so many of these kinds of clashes? Well, it almost looks as though the, the president is focusing on places that you would think is sort of um, prototypically blue or you yeah. know, Democrat or progressive. Um, and, it, you know, if what my friend in DHS is saying is true, and this is some kind of imagery exercise for him um, coming into the elections, maybe he's just, you know, picking out of a hat essentially like, Oh, here's a really, you know, deep blue liberal state. We'll show them how it goes and, you know, send in these, send in these feds that'll, that'll do what I want. Um, but I mean, I'm just speculating, uh, you know, that's one possibility. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking too about Portland's, um, history of white supremacy and mm. I wonder how that plays in. I mean, I know it was illegal for black people, to live in Oregon until... Yeah, it was, like, founded as a white separatist colony, right? Yeah. 
yeah. state not yeah colony. territory i don't know territory i don't know i don't know, I don't um, know. i'm i'm for, i t- uh, the w- the west coast is a mystery to me i just don't i've been there but i don't get it yeah um so in terms of uh like right now for people who may be involved um in the protests in portland like what um, what should people be aware of about the current situation and their rights? Uh, I think we do have some listeners in Portland. Um, I think that uh, what one of the individuals who were, was arrested uh, in, invoking, you know, his right to an attorney—that's always a smart move. I don't think there's any ever a situation in which that's not that's not the best thing that one can do. You know, I'm friends with several lawyers, and and you know they'll all tell you the same, and will express sort of astonishment that you know not everyone does that. But I suppose you know schools don't teach us these things, or at least mine didn't, and you know other people I talk to they 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 didn't. So um, yeah, invo- invoke your rights. Um, be careful. Uh, realize that uh, you know when the feds are are moving around they have they have um authorities and privileges above and beyond what local police do um but i mean beyond that it's it's hard to say let's talk about the drones for a second drones uh have like really expensive drones that are flying you know i think sometimes you know the hundreds and hundreds if not a thousand feet in the air are uh like military equipment is being used to like track and monitor these protesters um and that seems like you know even though police do have so much military equipment that seems kind of unique to what the federal government has available is that correct yeah, well, what was shocking to me uh, within this was that um, it, so again, it's talking points. It's supposed to be sort of, you know, what do you tell the press and the public when they ask you things? And so one of the questions was, are you going to be deploying another drone? And that's a sort of oblique reference to Minneapolis. Um, when the George Floyd protests were happening, they had a huge drone overhead that, uh, you know, led to a lot of people saying, why do we need this level of yeah. sort of, uh, I mean, this is military equipment at that point. But what a lot of folks don't know is that um, CBP, it's called C- uh, Customs and Border Protection Air and Operations. They actually possess a number of drones that they use for surveillance purposes on borders. And it's just that, um, you know, not everyone, uh, you know, you might not live on the southwest border might not be passing through the Mexican border, so you don't think about that. But um, I mean, this is really a case where uh, the tools they use uh, on migrants now are being used on 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 you know uh, residents of the United States. So uh, what's amazing about that case is they used a predator drone. Predator drone is the kind of thing that until recently um, they've updated the drone, but that was sort of the um, dominant one that we used in like um, drone strikes when we took take out what's called high value targets. So if there was someone that they believed to be maybe a high ranking member of Al Qaeda or ISIS or you know some um, some extremist group, they would use this. And I'm not I'm not saying that these ones have missiles. Um, you know, presumably they don't. But it's still frightening that they're using that degree of uh, that much of sophisticated um, uh, equipment to just keep an eye on what's as far as I can tell is at worst uh, property destruction. Yeah. Oh, God. Also, predator drone just sounds like something that could only be invented by, like, toxic heterosexuality. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> predator the <one>. drone. <laughs> <laughs> they, they call them the new ones now that they use are called Reaper drones. No, no, no. I'm, That's so creepy. I'm furious. It's very, it's very Terminator, right? I'm furious. Uh, <laughs> I mean, 
God, you know, abolish the police state for for that reason alone. Get rid of the <laughs> the Reaper drones. Um, yeah, it's like I mean, trying I, to sound like bad guys, right? I know. <laughs> God, these these are all people who played just. These are. This is the real danger of video games. I think. Careful, is, careful here. <laughs> Wait, I sorry, but blaming video games, it is pretty lame. Let's just own it for a second. That's yeah. true. That's yeah. true. That's yeah. fair. That's too mainstream live of me. I'm sorry. Um, Although never again. They're going on Twitch. They're playing Call of Duty on Twitch to recruit kids into the military. Oh my you guys God. see this? Yeah, I did see something about that. So I actually retract my my joke a minute ago. No, I'm not going to retract a joke. That's <laughs> self cancel culture. But yeah, what? So what is going on with the, the military is recruiting people with Call of Duty uh, on Twitch? That's so yeah. Yeah, so they've got like a 35 year old. Um, I don't know. I if mean, honestly, using him, that but... sound that is so them. That yeah. is so incredibly <laughs> them. I love that. Yeah, it's like an. I think it's like an ex Green Beret they're using, uh, who like runs this Twitch stream. And um, I, I don't use Twitch myself, but I've talked to people that you know uh, host Twitch streams, and the it skews very young, and not just very young, but kids that will sit there for like. Apparently, you can find uh, there'll be people watching for like seven or eight hours a day, and that's just uh, you know I think. I mean, I haven't seen any sort of psychological research on this stuff, but like if you're like maybe 11 or 12, maybe under supervised and you're just plugged into this all day, do these poor kids even know, are they able to differentiate between, you know, this is a, <laughs> this is, you know, this is a just thing for fun and, and the purpose of it is to recruit or, or are they going to start thinking about this person as their personal friend that they can trust and confide no, of in, you course, know? Of yeah. course, they, of course they can't differentiate those things. I mean, like their brain hasn't fully developed. Right. All right, is, I have a really personal question. Uh, my, my boyfriend is 33, and he's a socialist, <laughs> but he's obsessed with video games. Uh, is he at risk for joining the military? <laughs> I feel like these channels yeah. are probably primarily interested in the, like, um, you know, 16 to 22-year-old demographic. I, oh, my God. Yeah, I mean... You know, he does party a lot, so that might, uh, <laughs> they might not be as interested in recruiting him, but yeah, I'll just, you know, I'm going to watch. I'm, I'm just going to, yeah, I'm going to, I'm just, just going to check it. And sometimes the video games are going on a long time. Um, we Kate, should, oh, oh go Kate, ahead. Do you, do you want me to, if you have to go, do you want me to finish? I, oh, no. I have, I have like one or two more questions, but um, if, ask your questions, but I, I don't think I have to go. I'll just tell them. Oh, okay, cool. Meeting. Yeah. Um, Ken, I do want to, um, you know, this is a, this is a show that's, that's very, it's called Reply Guys. It's very much based in the internet where we live on Twitter. Um, and I know that you also are, um, afflicted as Kate and I are in that you, you use Twitter a lot. Um, and I just, I, I want to switch gears to something a little bit more lighthearted and I want to talk a little bit about your, um, incredible feud with elon musk oh my god yes is that okay can we talk about that oh definitely okay um so you know your peer elon musk uh uh you guys had an exchange of of words on twitter and um he delivered some of the worst comebacks i've ever seen (laughs) in the history of the website um, truly bringing the medium to lows I did not think that we could sink to. 
and then he blocked you. Are you still blocked? No. So I screenshotted the block because I was annoyed. It's like, come on, dude. You have so much money. Like, what? So I just tweeted. I said, <laughs> I, I said, um, you massive fucking baby. And then it was a screenshot. And then I don't, that went so wild that he ended up like unblocking me and then replying to it. And he said, he said, I only block people as an insult. They're unblocked. Stop whining. As if I was the one that was complaining. <laughs> oh my God. He has, he, I mean, talk about people who have like too much time on their hands. He, I mean, I just, I want to personally tax him to hell just to make up for how bad his personality is. Um, he, and also the fact that he has ruined Grimes for me. Oh, no. Um, she used to follow me until I dunked on him, and then she unfollowed me, like, right after she, I dunked on him. I, I would she never al- do that. I would never <laughs> unfollow someone because Jake beefed with them. I just, you know, I'm my own woman. <laughs> um, no, also, when Grimes started, I think when, when she and Elon Musk started dating, I think she used to have, like, socialist or something in yeah. her in her Twitter bio and it's no longer there. Um, so anyways, uh, pray for their demon spawn. <laughs> just what's the name? Was it like R2D2 or some shit? They gave it some some robot shit name? like that. I don't know. <laughs> also the fucking car that he designed the most recent one that looks like, like a cursed DeLorean, but more angular, like a polygon it, basically. Yeah, I mean, I just don't think that, I don't think that he's ever uh, gone down on a woman, and that's just my personal belief on about him, um, but that car to me is proof of that. Uh, he's like the tech, he's like the tech DJ Khaled. He is! Oh my god, wow. Well, <laughs> you know, we've, we've solved all of America's problems right here with that, with that sentence, I think. <laughs> um... Yeah. Also, I'm I'm just like I'm a huge fan of your of your work on Twitter. You also had uh, one of my favorite uh, Steve Representative Steve King interactions, um, (laughs) where you tweeted a picture of um, Jack Nicholson in A Few Good Men. I think was that the picture. That's right. Yeah. And (laughs) asked if he would give. He would give uh, your father a shout out, <laughs> and he did. Uh, and Not it was recognizing just... one of the most iconic scenes in Western film, which is, it, which might be fine for some people, but not for the guy, not for the white nationalist who says everyone has to acculturate and accept U.S. U.S. Uh, you know U.S. culture, which you would think would include one of the like most memorable scenes in all of film. Yeah. Um, just absolutely. If you haven't seen it, please, uh, please look it up. It's oh, and by the way, exactly one year prior to the Elon Musk thing. Exactly. That was exactly, oh it was God. also 4th of July. Yeah. Well, happy, happy anniversary. God bless us, everyone. Uh, <laughs> and that's the real spirit of 4th of July, I think is, uh, <laughs> dunking on Elon Musk and Steve King, who are two, very different but terrible but like almost i don't want to say that they're equally terrible because like elon musk is bad for well i don't know it's they're different kinds of terrible they're it's apples and oranges of being you know amoral i think many different ways to be awful 
Yeah, that's I true. Mean, to me, it's like I lived in the Bay Area for a long time, so I know a lot of guys that have that super like obnoxious tech libertarian personality and also just you know i don't mean to like play into this trope of like nerds who couldn't get laid and then they become that guy but you know it is there is something about it where uh like if you think about someone like elon musk without you know the the billions <laughs> it's like you're you're just a sucky guy you know yeah, like, you're saying, you're just are you saying the man who had to get hair plugs when he was like 25 is gonna be yeah. insecure <laughs> <laughs> I, I do have I have another question for you. So, yeah. you know, one thing that uh, has been much discussed uh, around media and journalism lately, and I do hate myself for asking this question, by the way, uh, is cancel culture. And, you know, I am t- kind of taking it. I've been thinking a lot about what the police uh, and Homeland Security is doing to uh, protesters in Portland. I I was thinking about what we witness here in our own New York of just, you know, just so much uh, violence. And to me, this like this debate among uh, especially journalists on the left, like it, it feels kind of misguided because even though there are definitely like obnoxious people on the Internet, we get that this show is called Reply Guys. It feels like it's really just misunderstanding how power works because although yeah there's a lot of like you know socialists and you know bernie bros and woke people online or whatever but it's like however excessive people may be you know in uh getting upset sometimes online it's just like the people that think like that don't have any power like it's the right-wing people that have power so i'm always surprised when i see people kind of really fixating on you know uh cancel culture as like an issue that you know is a problem on on the left uh but you know you're a journalist that i respect and so you know i was curious like is there something that i'm not seeing about it do you think that this is a real problem i think yeah you should always think about power in the context of things i guess um i you know i was never (laughs) like the it's never like a popular kid or anything but now having a you know, a modest platform. I've had to think about, uh, you know, people that I decided to call out and things like that, knowing that, you know, there are going to be a bunch of, you know, followers and other people that are going to jump on it. And, you know, at the front of my mind always is like, what is the relative power dynamic here? Like, is this someone who's really, you know, um, a sort of causal factor in, in the conditions of the society or are they kind of like a victim of it? And, um, I guess, you know, cancel culture that encompasses a lot of different things. If you're talking about like, um, I don't know, men being shitty to women, you know, that's something I'm a little less comfortable yeah. commenting on. Cause I don't really, it's not really my place to say, but I would say like in general, just like power stuff, like, you know, if it's just some, um, you know, young kid who's angry or something and is just trying to be edge lordy or something like I'm, you know, I feel a little sympathetic to that. Um, cause you know, when you're powerless, th- there's a tendency for people to do sort of engage in kind of like antisocial and not very constructive things. But, um, I mean, yeah, this is all stuff that I've thought about. I don't think there is any easy answer. I think, I guess in my view, I try to look at it case by case um, and, and sort of think about like, all right, well, you know, does this person represent an institution or do they have, you know, an institution behind them and so on and so forth. Um, but that's, yeah, that's certainly something that I have to like, I spend a lot of time thinking about. And I think, I, I think probably one should. That's good because um, we actually invited you onto the show specifically to cancel you. 
Um, and we will not be examining our power dynamics at all. We will not <laughs> yeah. be reflecting um, or thinking about this further because I think that that is a toxic behavior to reflect. Yeah. Um, yeah. I no. I I think it's so. These phrases become so oversaturated and trite, like cancel culture. Um, and they do become these kind of like weird signifiers of which team you're on in a way that I, I don't like either because it is, uh, as you said, it's, it's kind of like painting with broad strokes. It is not treating things on a case by case basis. And I agree with you. I think that, you know, I think that you should, you should be allowed to like be an angry teen if and like if if you apologize for it and if you've like grown and like that should be allowed and i think that people's i, I think it, it's particularly challenging when people even when sincere when sincere apologies come come along from people uh they aren't willing to accept it um it just seems like there are a lot of times when no matter how sincere an apology it's never enough for uh, for the kind of like punitive nature of, right. of social media. And I, I think that's really, really difficult, but I think the people who most loudly decry cancel culture are also awful. Uh, and they <laughs> cl clearly are the ones who, uh, you know, uh, they just want to say shitty things with impunity. I guess uh, it's like, the, the thing is, is one, I, I agree you should be uh, able to be an angry teen, and I actually think you should be able to be uh, an angry teen while into your 30s. Uh, but, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I guess the, the reason I brought it up is because, you know, I've been thinking about like the very real challenges to free speech and free expression that are happening right now with, you know, just like, I mean, there, there's just, you know, a civil liberties nightmare just unfolding in real time uh, right in front of our eyes. And it feels strange to me that so many journalists, uh, while that has been going on, I mean, it's always going on, but it's just been very blatant and very in the public view uh, over the past month or two. Um, and uh, yeah, to me, it's just, it seems weird that, you know, the people have become so kind of focused on, I don't know, cancellation or something like that. Uh, but... <laughs> No, I yeah. agree. I was just complaining about this. Like the whole thing about the letter. I started reading it and about a sentence and a half in, I wanted to, I wanted to see what the, I'm not, I, like, I'm not noble enough that I, I won't get into the muck and see like, all right, what is this like stupid thing everyone's debating about? But I lost interest in it because I was just thinking like, why do I care? Like the yeah. fabric of the society is fraying right now. We have, uh, you know, the military being deployed. Like this just seems so frivolous. Uh, in comparison. So like, and I don't even know what the letter yeah. says, but it's like, how, how can you even justify focusing, but, spending that degree but, of. Yeah. I mean, it's a, like the, the fact of the matter is the letter was signed by some of the most powerful people in like journalism and publishing and, uh, you know, fiction writing, things like that. And I, it just feels it's incredibly tone deaf to write something like that. Like the real victim 
of this whole current moment is me, Bari Weiss. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I just... Or me, Thomas Chatterton Williams. I am so hurt. Uh, like, okay, buddy. I don't know. You're, you seem like you're doing really great in France. Um, so it just seems like a lot of people who don't, who don't have a strong conception about what is going on in America right now, like the, how high the stakes are. Because they're acting like this is the most pressing news of the day. That's exactly it. I look at it and I just think, well, do they have anything at stake? This sort of seems like a parlor game to them if they can just, you know, uh, spend their time debating this kind of abstract stuff as, as, you know, as the entire uh, social system, let's be honest, is is falling apart. So uh, if you could cancel one person, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but uh, we should wrap up in a few minutes. But uh, Julie, really, do you have other questions? I do want to play that game. Okay, all right, let's play. <laughs> if you could cancel one person, who would it be? Um. Wow, I didn't know that I was going to go first. I just I wanted to know what Ken would say, but I. But I assume that, like, for professional reasons or whatever, he wouldn't say. Well, it doesn't have to be a journalist. It could be anyone. Okay. Oh, I would cancel... Are we saying cancel is, like, you just never have to hear from them again? Like, they are deplatformed? Yes. Ben Shapiro. That's a good one. That's That's a a really good one. Yeah. Uh... I think I would go with Tom Cotton, you know, which is like, actually, it's like, that's not like that funny of an answer. But I was just thinking about that op ed that's kind of started so much of this cancel culture debate. And just like, I mean, okay, it's crazy to me that there's still people defending that now that he was proposing has come to pass, you know, I just still think like the issue is, uh, okay. So that's my pick. Tom Cotton, an essential voice of our time that needs to be heard. Exactly. <laughs> I would say um, this is an easy one, but I would just say Elon Musk. Not necessarily because he's annoying. Like the, the memes are annoying enough, but like um, he plays a critical role. I, I notice in in like um, I, w- a lot of his fans will like DM me or message me angrily, and I'm kind of curious like why they're wh- why they're so invested in him. And what I find is they often say he's the only one that's going to deliver us from this climate catastrophe. Oh my so god! I think he's actually taking understandable pressure and fear, and instead of um, the, you know, that anxiety leading to any sort of political engagement, it's kind of like, oh, thank God this business is here to save us. And I think that's yeah. really bad, you know? Bezos I, too. Bezos I was, right, right. was going to say, I was going to say, I, I would be, I would happily change my answer to Jeff Bezos as well. But he, I, Elon Musk is like, he's more accessible because he like tweets a lot. Exactly. Like he's, he's he not. He media. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I've, and Kate and I have talked about this before. Billionaire stands are so sad. Maybe the maybe the saddest people on Twitter, and that is a an extremely high bar to clear. Uh, but there are yeah the, the guys power. who are like who are like sir. They all call Elon Musk <laughs> sir. Uh, <laughs> oh, I I feel for them, and I hope that you know that they find the the daddy that they're looking for yes it is it's a very daddy thing it's like of all the daddies you could have why are you gonna 
choose the like weird tech bro who definitely smells like chips and butt. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. Well, kind of. Um, where can people check out your work? Uh, just go to thenation.com or on Twitter at Ken Klippenstein. And uh, especially if you're fed, uh, you guys listen to a lot of different podcasts. I've noticed. Uh, reach out yeah. to me via Signal at two zero two five one zero twelve sixty eight. Oh my God! This is our first ever Signal plug. We love that. We love our good um, encrypted messaging services. Um, Ken, this has been so delightful. Thank you so, so much fun. for talking Thank you to so us. Much. I've learned nice so to, much. Always nice to meet Twitter buddies, semi IRL. I know. <laughs> yeah, we we didn't well, even get into the hairy cherry beef, so we'll have to have you back have for on. another episode. Yeah, yeah. We'll uh, we'll see you we'll see you back out there on on our our least favorite website. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, Ken. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to Reply, guys. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find us. Uh, the show is hosted by Kate Willett and me, Julia Clare. Our producer is Genevieve Garrity. Our theme song was performed by Emily Fremgen, who wrote the song with Kate Willett. Our artwork is by Adrian Lobel. If you want to find us on Twitter, we're at Kate Willett with two L's and two T's. And I'm at OJuliaTweets, O-H julia tweets and twitter is where you can also find our reply guys they are always with us bernie take us out as i went walking that ribbon of highway i saw above me that endless skyway I saw below me that golden valley. This land was made for you and me. This land is your land. This land is your land.